You are all welcome to church. It's a teaching set. Please sit down. Please sit down. Thank you so much. Please sit. You are welcome to church. I started a message, I think, in church, the value of God's word. We did the second part, I think, last week. And tonight, we are going to complete it. And then the next time I'm here, we'll look at the prophetic ministry. We'll talk extensively about the prophetic ministry. It's a very interesting ministry, like I keep saying. In fact, it's one of the ministries that as a pastor you need to teach your members about. Because the truth of the matter is that whether you like it or not, people like the prophetic. And so you need to situate people's mind in a way that they will benefit from it instead of what? Being losers from it. Hallelujah. So I will talk about the prophetic ministry once I'm done with this. And then we'll look at when you receive a prophetic word, what do you do with it? Because one of the things I've seen being in church is that many a time when people receive the prophetic word, they go to sleep. Five years, six years, ten years down the line, the thing does not happen. And a lot of times they end up accusing the prophet <laughs> and even accusing the pastor. Hallelujah. But tonight we are looking at mastering God's word. Mastering God's word. I hope I can finish. I'll finish it by the grace of God. <laughs> mastering. How do you master the word of God? We've learned about the value of God's word. But it's not enough to know about the value if you cannot master it. Hallelujah. It's going to be a very simple message. The word of God has many benefits. In fact, the word of God is full of many, many promises and principles. Hallelujah. But until you have a full grip of the word, until you master the word, until you have a full grip of the word of God in your hands and in your heart and in your spirit, you are not going to benefit from it. And one of the things that I've seen is that many of us are not benefiting from the word. (laughs) It's a big problem. There are people who come to church, once they leave church, they throw their Bible somewhere. And we are not benefiting from the word of God. So sometimes we think that the word is not real. But the question is, have you studied the word enough? Have you mastered the word enough? Do you have a full grip of the word? Because you see, if you grab God's word in a manner that you ought to, you are going to have all the benefits that there is. There, there, is, there are in the Bible. You are also going to have a situation where you are not going to fall into sin. Many people are falling into sin because they don't have the word of God. If Satan should come to tempt you today, and he comes with a particular temptation, do you have the word to counter that temptation? If you don't have that word, the chances are that you can easily fall into sin. A lot of people have backslided in the church. (laughs) They backslided. 
a lot of people have backslided. Ask yourself, why have they backslided? If they've been in church for 20 years, if they've been in church for 15 years, if they've been in church for 17 years, if they've been in church for even a year, why would you backslide? Because we don't have the word of God. We don't have the word of God. So the word of God is very, very important. But you will benefit from it if you have a full grip of it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is inspired by God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. When you look at this scripture, it is telling us what the word of God does. When it says that the word of God is for doctrine. Doctrines are Christian principles. Doctrines are Christian teachings. Doctrines are Christian beliefs. That teaches us what is right to believe. Doctrines. There are a lot of people who don't even know when you ask people about the doctrine of the what? The last, the Lord's Supper. Or the Holy Communion. They don't even understand it. <laughs> and yet... Every month we come and sit here and we take it. So we are not getting the full benefit. But if you understand the word and you have a full grip of the word, you would understand some of these doctrines and it will help you to believe. This morning I was on the phone with my, some of my investing friends and they were arguing. There was an argument on the page that how can God create Satan? It was such an interesting and weird and everybody and I was surprised. Majority of the people on the page said the word of God is contradictory. The word of God is contradictory. And I was sitting on this page and I was like, how can the word of God be contradictory? It is because we don't even understand the principles and teachings as Christians. And that's why I'm teaching some of these things. The scripture also says that word of God is for reproof. Which means that it teaches, it teaches us where we are wrong. Do you know where you are wrong? There are people when they are wrong, they can't even tell when they are wrong. Because they don't even understand the scriptures. Wow. But when you have the word of God and you are wrong, you will know you are wrong. It also says that the word of God is for correction. I'm talking about 2 Timothy 3.16. Here the word of God teaches us what is wrong in our life. And then it says that the word of God is for instruction in righteousness. It means that the word of God teaches us how to stay right. I was talking to, where is Felix? I was talking to him tonight. All of us sitting here. Hallelujah. If I ask us, as Christians, how do you deal with an elderly person in the church when the person wrongs you? I'm telling you that 90% of us will be found wanting because we don't even know it. As a church leader or as a departmental head, how do you deal with the elderly women in the church? A lot of us don't even know it. How do you deal with the young girls in the church? People don't know. When people go wrong, how do you deal with them? We don't even know it. It's because we have not mastered the word of God. Tonight, I'm going to, we are going to learn about six ways to master the word. In fact, we know them already. 
but I'm just going to re-echo them. Six ways to master the word. Number one, by hearing. 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 The number one way is by hearing. To hear means to take in. You are listening to me. What you are doing now is you are hearing me. The more you hear, the more you get acquainted with the word. So the more you come to teaching service or Sunday service and I preach the word concerning a particular topic, the more you get used to it, the more it gets into your spirit. When you hear the word of God, it enables you to take it in. Because as I'm talking to you right now, you are taking the word of God in. By hearing the word of God being preached, you are taking in the truth. By hearing the word of God, you are receiving the word into your hearts. Through the power of hearing the word of God, the word of God becomes a part of you. A part of you. How many of us make time to hear the word? So the word of God is not a part of us. But as you hear the word of God, it becomes a part of you. Why? Because what you hear shapes your belief system. What you hear shapes your belief system. And so if you want to get acquainted with the word, one of the things you should do is to hear more of preachings and sermons consistently and when we are talking about preachings and sermons we are not talking about a once in a while thing no it must be consistent it must be continual it must be continuous you must consistently be hearing the word that is when it will become a part of you psalm 10 romans 10 and verse 17 it says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of god so if you want your faith to grow, you need to do what? Hear more of the word. And as you hear more of the word, you are mastering the word. Church, if you are not hearing more of the word, I want to encourage you tonight. Make time to hear the word. There are sermons on YouTube all over the place. Any topic you are looking for, just type it and you hear. And when you hear the word, don't just hear it once. Here it's one, two, three, four, and you realize that the word of God will to become a part of you. And very soon you begin to act as the word says. Hallelujah. That's one of the ways you can master the word. Hearing the word. Number two, by reading the word. Reading. 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 Revelations 1-3 says, Blessed is, who, is he who reads. And those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Blessed is he who reads. So one of the ways you can master the word is by reading. By reading. By reading the word. By reading the word. One of the things you need to understand is that as you read, you obtain knowledge. As you read, you obtain knowledge. So reading has a way of giving you knowledge from the word. So you can just take the Bible and decide that I'm going to read First Timothy. And then you sit there and then you read all of First Timothy. Just reading it, it will give you certain knowledge that he that you didn't have. If you read the book of Matthew, it will give you a certain knowledge that before you didn't have. Hallelujah. So it, reading brings what? 
gives you knowledge and knowledge gives you understanding, comprehension. It gives you enlightenment. It gives you illumination. The more you read, the more you know. That is why people who are well read are very intelligent. And so when you make more time to read the word of God, you realize that you begin to know more in the word. Hosea 4, 6 that says that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. You see, it is because we don't read the word, that is why we easily fall along the way. That is why we easily backsliding. At the least push, people are leaving church. Not because there is a major problem, but because we don't read the word. We don't read the word. So the thing that should push you... are simple, simple things. And the truth is that if you, want to, if you don't understand certain truth in the church or in the word of God, you can easily fall. Whether you are a pastor, whether you are a church leader, whether you are a church member, I'm telling you, it's for all of us. You can easily get offended if you don't read the word. You can easily get offended. Because someone has said something to you. But you see, the more you read the word, the more you are gathering knowledge and understanding of things. So the things that will make you fall, will not make you fall. Hallelujah. So how do you read the word? One of the things I do and I encourage people to do is that take three chapters of a book and read every day. Just three chapters. So for instance, if you decide that I am going to read the book of Matthew, just get up in the morning, take Matthew chapter 1, read it. Matthew chapter 2, read it. Matthew chapter 3, don't study it. We'll come to the study. Just read it. By reading it, you are getting information. By reading it, the, the, the word of God will come into your spirit and your eyes will be open to things you didn't know. I have read the pastoral epistles many times. And when I talk about the pastoral epistles, I'm talking about First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon. But this week, I just decided that let me just go through them again. And when I read it, wow. I learned so many things. I said, wow. And I was telling my wife. I just just bought a book and I was telling my wife that most of the things written in this book are in the pastoral episodes. So as a pastor, one of the places you should read more is 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. Because it will teach you how to deal with the elderly men. So for instance, if I'm going to deal with Uncle Sam, there's a way. How to deal with it? It's in there. If I'm dealing with an elderly woman, there's a way. Even if they wrong me, the Bible says you should not rebuke the elderly. It's in there. So if you're a pastor, you come and stand here and rebuke an elderly man. You cannot say because I didn't read it in the Bible. <laughs> it will go against you. So what I'm saying is that the more you read the word, the more you gather information. You will know things. How do you deal with the young girls? How do you deal with people who have wronged you? How do you deal with people who have wronged the church? You cannot just get up and act in a manner that you think pleases you. Everything is in the word of God. But because we don't make time to read the word, we are oblivious of certain things. And that is why the churches are suffering. But I pray that as you hear these simple, simple things, you begin to take your Bible and begin to read through every day. Three chapters a day. Three chapters a day. Three chapters a day. Three chapters a day. And before long, you begin to receive knowledge. 
habits. Simple. I do five chapters a day. Depending on the type of book I'm reading. If I'm doing an episode, I decide that I'm reading the whole of the episode. If I'm reading the Old Testament, sometimes the stories are too, so long, you do five chapters. And you try and get the understanding and get knowledge. May you receive knowledge. Ah. What do you do when you read? What do you do when you read? Underline paragraphs or portions that stood up to you. So when you take the Bible and you are reading, there are certain portions of the Bible that will stand out. They will stand out. Underline them. Underline them. Very important. Underline them. Indicate why they did to you. For instance, if they stood up to you, you should have a book where you should indicate. These are the reasons why they stood up to me. So like I was talk, talk, saying that I read about the pastoral epistles. First Timothy, Second Timothy. There were things that stood out to me. So I wrote them somewhere. And I gave my reasons. So you do that. Hallelujah. And then indicate the differences they will make in your life. So you, in your book, indicate what are the differences these stories will make in my life. State them. State them. It's very important. And then it says, state the changes you are willing to make as a result of what you have read. As a result of what you have read. Indicate the changes you are willing to make. So there are changes I told myself I'll make. <laughs> hey, there are changes. Because you see, as a pastor, you must always be steady. It's important. Just read it. Don't you just read it. Just read it. Make it a daily thing to do. Hallelujah. The third thing is studying the scriptures. So beyond reading, you need to study the scriptures. If you want to master the scriptures. Acts 17, 11. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. In that they received the word with all readiness. And searched the scriptures daily. To find out whether these things were so. They searched the scriptures daily. They searched the scriptures daily. To find out if these, those things were so. Some of us. We come here, the pastor preaches, and we think it's the gospel truth. <laughs> we think it's the gospel truth. So a lot of people are walking with the knowledge of the pastor. So if the pastor is, they have heard. No. When you finish, take the Bible yourself. Study it. And see if the things I am saying are true. It's very important. Second Timothy 2.15 says, Steady to show thyself approved unto God. Steady to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. There are people who say they are pastors. When they carry the microphone, some of the things they say, I'm like, ah, it's a man organo. And I have seen very senior men of God preach. And I'm like, they are not rightly dividing the word. And that is why some of the unbelievers get at us. Because we carry the scripture and then we take it out of context. And then we run with it. But when you study the scripture, it will give, because you see, when you are analyzing the scripture, first you have to look at the people the scripture was written to. Number one. Number two. Who wrote the scripture? Who? Who? If it's Paul. Because you see, we all have our personal experiences which we bring to bear on things. 
So number two. Number three. What is the culture of the people the scripture was written to? Because you see, if the culture of the people is that they don't marry two, they don't marry three, or they don't eat pork and all of those things, it will affect the writer. So you don't just take a scripture and say, Paul said this. No. I was talking to my brother Fee and I was telling him that, look, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says that once your wife dies or your husband dies, you are permitted to marry. But in Ghana, it is not so. Ah, if your wife dies today and you come and tell me you are marrying tomorrow, I'll have a problem with you. Because culture-wise, it is wrong. How many years? At least a year. So you don't take that scripture and begin to run with it, man of God. And say, if your wife dies tomorrow, hey, marry another one the next day. That's dangerous. So you have to look at the culture of the people. How many have I given? Ah, you are not counting. I've given three. No, I've given four. The, the person, the personality, so four. Then you come to the test before the test you are, you are analyzing. So if you are analyzing 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, there is a verse that comes before that main test. Analyze that test, the pre-test. You know, so. Then when you finish, you come to the test after that test. <laughs> so when you are, you are doing studies, these are the things you should consider. Don't come and take the scriptures and begin to bulldoze and run and... I don't want to say this in the microphone. But what I'm saying is that we need to study the word. It's very important. And these are the ways to study them. These are the ways. These are the Bible class, so I don't want to get into those things. So what does it mean to study? To research. To devote time to gaining knowledge of a subject. So you can take 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 and decide that I'm going to do a study on it. So you, after doing all the things I have said, you can look at some of the words, the key words in, this, in, the, in the text. What do they mean? What was the Greek meaning? Because the New Testament was what? It was transcribed from the Greek to English. So you need to find out some of the Greek words that were, tra- you know, it's very important. Hallelujah. That is how to do Bible study. That's how to do Bible study. That's how to do Bible study. When studying the Bible, make time to search the scriptures and digest its truth into your spirit until it becomes a part of you. For one to be able to do a good Bible study, the following are necessary. Number one, you need different versions of the Bible. When you are doing a Bible study, you need different versions, different versions. So you have your King James, you have your New King James, you have your Amplified Bible, you have the, I mean, name them, the Message Bible. So you can have probably four versions. Because some versions will give you other words. Some versions will give you simpler meaning. I don't normally use the King James. Because in some way, I love the New King James, the Amplified, the New whatever translation, and, and you, you have about four of them. Hallelujah. You also need what we call a Bible dictionary. A Bible, and today all these things are online. A Bible dictionary. The Bible dictionary will give you the root meaning to the word. And sometimes even the translation, the Greek meaning and all those things, they are all there. You also need what we call a Bible commentary. Some, of, some Bibles have a commentary. They would explain some of the scriptures. 
That's, that's, that's studying. So beyond reading, you need to do a study. And when it comes to study, sometimes you take a simple test. And when you begin to study, you realize that there is more to it than what you are reading. So when it comes to studying, you are going deeper than just a casual look at the thing. Hallelujah. And it's very important. Learn to study the Bible. Learn to study the Bible. There are different ways we can study the Bible. I will name a few. And then we we'll go to the next. We have what we call the synthetic Bible study. Number one, the synthetic Bible. Synthetic. Here you look at the book as a whole before viewing it analytically. So, for instance, if I want to study the whole of Matthew chapter 1, I'll read it as a whole. I'll read it as a whole. That's a synthetic. You just read it. You just do a reading, a casual look at it. You don't go into detail. You don't do any analysis. So that's one. Synthetic Bible study. Then we have what we call the analytical Bible study. With analytical Bible study, here you do an analysis of the passage. Or the scripture. So you read it thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly. You analyze the words. You analyze the phrases. You look at some of, for instance, the message Jerusalem. You can go and find out where, was, where is Jerusalem. Subject to where the, pers- the person is going to. I hope you understand me. So you look at those things, and they are very important. You'll be surprised. They help you to understand. So you don't misfire when you are preaching. It's very important. And it helps you. But I'm sure somebody will be asking, but I'm not a pastor. Why should I be doing all this? Hey, it gives you, you see, as you study the word, it becomes a part of you. It gives you depth of knowledge. It opens your mind. It, it gives you illumination. And before long, revelation will begin to come into your spirit. Hallelujah. That's how it is. That's how it is. We have what we call the next one is topical Bible study. That's another type of Bible study. Here you will look out for scriptures concerning a particular topic and find out what the scriptures teaches regarding this subject. For example, forgiveness, holiness, Holy Spirit, faith. These are topics you can take and I just decided I'm going to. So you can decide that this month I'm going to do a topical study. Last, last month we did a topical study here. Who remembers? Who remembers? <laughs> Praying in the spirit. We dealt with it. it was a, what we did was topical. We took a topic. We looked at all the scriptures concerning that topic. And we did an, an analysis of it. Hallelujah. That's topical. And sometimes you can just decide that I'm going to do a topical study such as marriage. So you look for all scriptures concerning marriage. And you look at all writings in the Bible concerning marriage. And before long, you realize that, wow, wow, there is so much to learn. Hallelujah. Then we come to character study. When we talk about character study, you can pick any character of the Bible. You can pick Jesus Christ. You can pick Naomi. You can look at David. What makes David, David? You can look at Jethro. You can look at Moses. Any, any character, you can just pick and then begin to learn about them. Character study. Character study. Character study. Then we have what we call expository Bible study. 
This is a careful examination of a book of the Bible you have read. So, you, you, for instance, let's take, you take um, a chapter of the Bible. A chapter of maybe Matthew, let's say Matthew chapter 25. And then you read it and then look at the theme. From it, you can get the theme from it. Then you can look at the style of literature. Then you look at some of the outlines in there. And then you look at what subject matter they are talking about. That's another type of Bible study. And so you see, sometimes when you are listening to men of God, they have different strengths. Dr. Otabel is very strong in topical Bible study. So you look at most of his sermons, they are very topical. Very topical. Some people, expository, especially prophets, they like preaching. So most of the time they take it and then they run with it. So you sit down, you, you know that this one, this one, the kind of study he has done, what he's using. And it's very important. Hallelujah. Then number four, number four, memorize, memorize. Another way you can get the scriptures is to memorize them. Memorize, memorize, memorize. What we call chew. Chew, Baba. <laughs> Psalm 119, 11. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. The essence of memorizing a scripture is one, to record the scripture in times of temptation so you can overcome the tempter. It is very important. Very, very important. Most of us are unable to overcome certain temptations because we don't have a word concerning that temptation. But one of the ways you can overcome a temptation is by memorizing a scripture in your head, in your heart, in your mind. It's very important. Another reason why we memorize a scripture is by recalling a memorized scripture helps you change your will into God's will. You see, when you know a scripture... And sometimes you, you, you are thinking so bad and negative or you are so depressed and you feel like taking a decision which is wrong. There's a way the Holy Spirit can bring that scripture back into your soul. And then that evil will that you have, which is against God's will, will just move and God's will will come into your heart. It has happened to me many times. Sometimes you are going through a very challenging moment and you feel like giving up. It happens to all of us. Especially when things are tough. Money is not coming. You have done jobs. They are not paying you. You are running a church. There are so many problems. You are working at the office. They are not promoting you, but you are giving off your best. And you feel like giving up. Then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit will just bring back a scripture. And you realize that your will will automatically move. And then the will of God will stand. That's what that's the essence. It's very important. And so that is one of the reasons why we need to memorize scriptures. Sometimes, you see, unfortunately for us, in our time, unfortunately, let me put it that way, because the, the internet, we don't memorize scriptures. Those days, if you want to prepare a sermon, oh, but now, it's easy. It's easy to prepare a good sermon. Because there are sermons all over. You just Google, baptism of the spirit, or whatever, and then everything will come. All you need to do is to sit and read. And even that is difficult. Hallelujah. So how do we memorize scriptures? How do you memorize a simple scripture? 
So you can pick a simple card, a small card or a piece of paper and just write the scripture on it. So wherever you are going, that scripture is in your hand. When you sit at that restaurant, you just take a look at it and then read it and then put it down. When you finish eating, you read it. At your free time, you read it. Wherever you are going, you carry with it. And then afterwards, once you are back home, before you sleep, you take a pen and try and recollect that scripture and write it down. Hallelujah. Please, these things I'm teaching, don't take them for granted. (laughs) A lot of times, we take things for granted. The last one, meditation. Meditation. Psalm 1, Psalm chapter 1. (laughs) First chapter of Psalm. Verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in the law he meditates day and night. He meditates. He meditates. He meditates. So what is the meditation? For me, it's the most critical. Meditation is to ponder. To ponder over a word. Is to reflect, to reflect, to reflect over scripture. Is to reflect. Is to give attention to the word of God. You see, when you are reading, you are just going through. <laughs> but when it comes to meditation, you are giving attention. You know what's attention? When you are giving attention to your wife, or your spouse, or your girlfriend, what you do is the same thing. That's what we are talking about. So you are, you, are, you, are, you are always calling the person on phone. Where are you? Oh, I've missed you. That's what it is. Give attention. Ponder over it. Think through it. That's meditation. 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 Think through it. It says, after you are fed on the word, the process of digesting what you have received is what we call meditation. So by meditation, you are digesting the word that you have read. Or the word that you have heard, you are digesting it. You know what happens when there is digestion? If you eat banku and it goes through a digestion process, and by the grace of God it is coming through the other way, it is not the same banku. It means that it has gone into your bloodstreams. So that is what meditation does. Digest the word to, to the extent that when the word is coming, it is coming out in a different form. So even though you read it as an ordinary scripture, when it is coming, it is coming as revelation. That's what meditation does. It gives you revelation. Revelation. A lot of us, we don't have revelation because we don't make time for the word. We don't give attention to the word. We don't ponder over the word. Make time for the word. Look at the word. Ask yourself, what does it mean? We'll look at what is meditation. We 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 are going. Meditation takes place in the heart, in your heart. Psalm 19 and verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, the meditations of my heart. So when it comes to meditation, your heart plays a critical role. You need an extreme focus on the word. Hallelujah. Meditation helps you to soak the life. The spirit and truth of God's word. 
There is life in God's word. There is spirit in God's word. There is truth in God's word. And the only way you can soak it is by meditation. So you see, there is this program by a certain man of God in South Africa, Nigeria. He has a, they call it what? Some healing school. You know the healing school? How many of us have watched the healing school? And you will notice that when you are watching the healing school, the healings are so quick. And so an American church went to do an investigation to find out why the healings are so fast. Because when the man of God comes, he says, come out, come out. And the other thing is just happening. Not knowing that before the man of God comes in, they spend about two weeks teaching them the word. So there is, there's, let me, permit me to use the word, they indoctrinate you with the word. And so sometimes they make, make you feed on the word to the extent that it becomes life to you. So the word of God is sort of, it, uh, uh, what's the word, what's the word? It mixes up with your spirit and your soul to the extent that when the, word, the man of God comes, it is so easy for the demons to leave you. That's what meditation does. So as you meditate on the word, you are soaking life. You are soaking spirit. You are soaking the truth of God's word. So imagine if you are not meditating. Like I said earlier, meditation leads to revelation. It leads to revelation. How do you meditate? So when you take a scripture, let's say John 3.16... For God so loved the world. It's a very popular scripture that we all know. When you take that scripture, how do you meditate on such a scripture? Number one, you, the first question when you are meditating, you ask yourself, what does this verse mean to me? What does it mean? So John three sixteen. what does it mean to me? What does it mean to me? Then you begin to think, what does it mean to me? Wow. John three sixteen. John 3, 16, what does it mean to me? That you'll be writing them down. You are meditating. You are giving it attention. You are pondering. The next thing, how does this word apply to me? How does it apply to me? Meditation, how does it apply to me? John 3, 16, how does it apply to me? Number three, how can I put it into practice? You are giving it attention. You are dissecting. You are cutting. How does it, how do I put it into practice? That's the third one. Is right? How can I put it into practice? The third one. Number four. What does this passage of scripture teach me? What does it teach me? What does it teach me? What does it teach you? So as you are answering all these questions, you are giving it attention. I was listening to a man of God. And he said he took a scripture. He started reading the scripture. He said the Lord told him, stop there. He said, ah, but this one is nothing. They said, no, just continue to meditate on it. He said he meditated on that word the whole day. And then God began to reveal things to him through that word. And it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. I'm on number four. What does this passage of scripture teach me? Number five. Are there promises to claim or believe in this scripture? 
are there promises? John 3, 16. Are there promises there that I have to claim? Are there promises? If there are promises, you can be in your room and begin to say, God, ah, this is your word. And this is the promise. And I claim it in the name of Jesus. And it could be a healing scripture. And you may be suffering a disease. But as you meditate and you know that there is a promise in it, you begin to claim it in your room. And before long, nobody will touch you. But you will see the revelation power of the Holy Ghost come upon you. And from nowhere, healings will begin to take place. Sometimes when I stand here and I tell people, stop chasing pastors, they don't get me. I'm telling you. Because they will take advantage of you. I'm not saying it is evil, but they would, especially if you're a woman, they would take advantage of you. They would take advantage of you. Because you see, oh friend, no, no. Only a chat, you know. You know what communication can do? Communication. <laughs> it has a way of staring up certain things. Oh, friend, no, no. Oh, friend, no. Ha! Before long. I'm telling you. That's why me. They don't bring those things to my doorsteps. If I have a problem, I'm going to my word. I'm not saying that I know it all. No. But I encourage people stop chasing people around. They'll take advantage of you. I know people whose marriages have been destroyed because they are chasing men of God. I'm telling you. You, you, you continue. But one day, Okente Bahami. I'm telling you, Okente Bahami. I can't cry. The next one. What are the conditions attached? Meditation. What are the conditions attached? You know what? There are some scriptures that are conditions attached. <laughs> Especially in the Old Testament. If you hack into my voice, if you hack into my voice, and sometimes we leave that part, and then we claim the promise. Hey, please, no shortcut. <laughs> are there conditions attached? Are there con- and when there are conditions, what do you do? Obey the conditions. God is a just God. Some of us want to put the conditions aside and claim the blessing. <laughs> Omale. Omale. <laughs> Are there any warnings? So when you look at the scripture, are there any warnings? So by the time you do all this, you answer all these questions, you realize that ah, the thing has gotten deep into you. Revelation is coming. Are there examples to avoid? Or are there examples to follow? So Bathsheba and David, their story, when you take it and you are meditating, are there examples to follow or are there examples to avoid? There will definitely be an example to avoid. Meditation. Finally, any commands to obey? Are there any commands to obey? Are there any commands to obey? That is the process of meditation. The process of meditation. And as you do this, God will begin to open your eyes. God will begin to show you things in the word. Hallelujah. 
Let me add the last one in the next one minute. The last one, which is the sixth one, is act on the word. Act on the word. One of the problems with us is we read the Bible, we study the Bible, we memorize the Bible, and then what else? We what? Meditate, and then what else? There are five. Yes. And then we don't act. One of the ways you can master the word is by acting. In fact, if you want to master driving, what do you do? You practice. <laughs> you cannot master the word by just reading, studying, meditating. One of the ways to also master the word is by acting on the word. Doing what the Bible says. Doing what the Bible says. Let me just give the scriptures and I'll close. James 1 from verse 22 to 25. It's a very nice scripture. We all know it. It says we should be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. You see, when, when, you are, when you read the word and you are not acting on it, you are deceiving yourself. And I pray for us tonight. This may be a very simple... I'm sure many of us have heard it over and over again. We have probably we've heard it in Sunday school, but I pray that God, through the Holy Spirit, will come upon us. That our reading habits will change. Our studying will change. Our meditation will improve. And as we do that, may God reveal himself to us. Let there be healings. Father, as we meditate on your word, as we feed on the word, as we study the word, as we read the word, let the power in the word come upon us. Let the spirit of the word come upon us. Let the life of the word come upon us. Let doors be opened unto us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you for coming to church. Last two weeks, I started a sermon series titled, Binding the Strong Man. Binding the Strong Man. And we are continuing today. Next week, by the grace of God, I'll finish it. We'll look at doorway to the strong man. And then we'll look at dealing with the strong man next week. But this morning, I am looking at, under the, under the heading, binding the strong man, I'm looking at the enemies we face. The enemies we face. The enemies we face. Matthew chapter 12. We are reading 26 and then 28. 26. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? 28. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. This is Jesus speaking. In fact, the last time we looked at Luke chapter 11 from verse 21 to 22, we also looked at Matthew chapter 12 from verse 22 to 29. And we spoke about the strong man. We said the strong man is a personality in charge of a stronghold. We also said that the strong man is a controlling spirit. The con- a controlling spirit. A controlling spirit. We also said that a stronghold is a fortified place that Satan built to exalt himself against the knowledge of God. And if you look at the song our sister sang, you saw a stronghold in it. And there were some powerful things 
that she sang to us this morning. We also spoke about goods. And we said the goods represent the blessings of Christians that Satan and his cohort are withholding or sitting on. We also spoke about the stronger than he. And we said Jesus is the stronger than he. We said Jesus is what? The stronger than he. When you look at the scripture we read, in Matthew chapter 12, the 26 and the 28, according to Jesus, there are two opposing kingdoms. There are two opposing kingdoms. One, the kingdom of God, and then the kingdom of Satan. The kingdom of God, and then the kingdom of Satan. The kingdom of God represents Jesus Christ, his servants, and all his followers. The kingdom of God represents Jesus Christ, his servants, and all his followers. And the kingdom of Satan represents Satan, and then his principalities, his powers, his demons, and all the evil angels. They represent the kingdom of Satan. In fact, for you to understand the enemies that we face, you will need to understand how Satan came into being. Where did Satan come from? What was the original plan for, of, of Satan? Was he created to be a torment to our generation or the world? What happened? How did Satan come into being? Ezekiel 28 from verse 12 to 17. The Bible says that son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, that says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Please follow it. This is what Satan originally was. Look at the description given by the prophet Ezekiel concerning Satan. It's so interesting. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. So Satan is a created being. He cannot be God. And it's very important that we know that. So if you are here and you are serving Satan, it means that you are serving a being. <laughs> you are not serving the living God. Don't make a mistake. Don't make a mistake. You were the anointed cherub. Wow. Who covers? He covers. He covers God with his wings. He covers the, end, uh, the, the, the heavens with his wings. He brings worship to heaven. I establish you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in all your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within. And you sinned. So it means that sin did not Look, the first sin was committed in heaven. The first sin was not committed on earth. It was actually committed in heaven. Because that's what the Bible says. He sinned. 
You see? He said, Therefore I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub. The mist, from the midst of the fiery stones, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. When you look at this scripture very well, you will notice that Satan originally was called Lucifer, which means the one who brings lies. His job was to bring lies. His job was to bring worship to the heavens. He was a lead singer. He was the man in charge of worship in the heavens. He was an archangel or a chief angel of God. When they say one is an archangel, it means that it's an angel who had other angels under his command. The man was an archangel. There were three, or there are three archangels. Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. And Lucifer was in charge of worship. We know Michael is an archangel for a battle. And the other is what? Gabriel. He brings information. He brings information. He's the, the, the minister of information. And the Bible says that Satan was an archangel. So he had angels working under him, operating under him. Hallelujah. But we are told that when God created Satan, he created him as a seal of perfection. Someone who had so much wisdom. The Bible says he was full of wisdom. And the Bible says he was perfect in beauty. Can you imagine one who is beautiful and perfect in beauty? Just begin to imagine. You look at a woman and you say, you are beautiful. And then you add, and your beauty is perfect. <laughs> Have you seen some before? Uh-huh. <laughs> Hallelujah. So he was perfect in beauty. It means that he was without blemish in terms of his nature. Bible says that he was a glorious being and he brought worship to the heavens. But watch this. The Bible says that by the abundance of his trading, he became filled with violence. What does it mean when they say by the abundance of his trading? The word trading here simply means tail bearing. Tail bearing, a gossip. And it's not just a gossip. He goes around to say things which may not be true in order that he will create problems. This was what Satan was doing in heaven. So Satan came to the angels under him and he said, Hey, do you know what? Guys, Charlie, you are wasting your time with this man called God. You are so gifted. Can you imagine if you allow us to take the law into our own hands and begin to do things that will please us? Let's not be under this man called God. And, and. So that's what he was doing. That's what the Bible says. He was what? Trading. You know, people who trade, what do they do? They sell. They sell things. So he was selling evil ideas to the angels under him. May that not be your story. May you not be one who trades. Ah, may you not be one who is a tail bearer. May you not be in church and be a tail bearer. Because you know what? Satan is the father of tail bearers. He's the father. Interesting. Interesting. And the Bible says that because of that, what did he do? 
He undermined the loyalty of God to the extent that the Bible says in the book of Revelation, one third of the angels, when he was being cast down, he went with them. It tells you that those people were disloyal to God. They were disloyal to God. They were disloyal to God. He motivated and convinced the angels to undermine the rulership of God. He also sought equality with God. And that's why when I was reading the scripture, I said, He is a created being. So how can you be equal to God? When you read the book of Philippians chapter 2, from verse 5 to 11, the Bible describes Jesus as being God. And yet, He did not consider it robbery. You see, so even Jesus, who was God in mankind, in, in the nature of man, when he came on this earth, he did not consider himself to be like God. However, Satan, who was a created being, wanted to be like God. He wanted to be like God. Sometimes people want to be what they are not. Sometimes people want to be what they are not. Anytime you want to be what you are not, hey, you are acting like the devil. Be careful. These are the characteristics of the devil. The devil, Satan. And the Bible says that because of this thing, iniquity was found in him. Iniquity, pride was found in him. In fact, pride is the most dangerous sin. It is the most, you know why it's the most dangerous sin? When you are walking in pride, you may not even be aware you are walking in pride. If you commit adultery, you know you have committed it. If you commit fornication, if I, you know. If you are lying, you know. But when pride is in you, sometimes it is difficult for even you, the holder of pride, to know that you are proud. And you need the Holy Spirit sometimes to prompt you about your pride. That is why it is a very dangerous thing. So sometimes you see somebody who is proud, who is proud, and you will be talking to him and tell him, I'm not proud, I'm not proud. And yet, he is pride. He eats pride. He walks pride. And he does pride in everything. It's a very dangerous thing. It's a very dangerous thing. And God hates it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And because iniquity was found in him, the Bible says that God casted him out of heaven. Casted him out. And he did not just come. He came when he came to the heavens, when he was cast from heaven. He decided to form his own structure of government in order that he will oppose the lie because he represents darkness. So when you read Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, the book of Ephesians tells us the structure of, this, of, of, the, of, the, of the kingdom of darkness. So when you read Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, Satan sits at the top. Let me read. He says, Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. That's the structure. That's the structure of the kingdom of Satan. Satan sits at the top, followed by principalities, then powers, and then he continues. Somebody may ask, why am I saying what? Look, you need to understand these things in order that you can, you can war against the devil. That's why I said the song was prophetic. 
Because he was just talking about prayer, being on your knees, and that is where you can break strongholds and all of those things. Because you see, if you are a prayer person and you don't understand how the kingdom of, of Satan works, you will be praying amiss. Hallelujah. May God give us wisdom this morning. May God open your heart this morning. May the Holy Spirit speak to your heart this morning. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Thank you, Holy Spirit. All right. So, what are principalities? What are principalities? Because when you take Satan, now we know about Satan. Let's look at principalities. They are the, after Satan, they are the main people. Uh-huh. Principalities are the highest of the ranking of the devil's kingdom. They are the highest. They are ruling spirits assigned over nations and cities. Their duty is to influence men and women in government and positions of decision-making in nations. So the, the, the duty of a principality is to influence people who are in authority. Presidents, ministers of state, the judiciary, the legislature. So you watch our government. The NDC comes and we say, oh, they are doing this. They are corrupt. They are this. They are that. Let, let's, let's change them. Let's bring the MPP. And you can't, you don't even see the difference. You, you don't see the difference. Though. It's like you wonder, ah, did we go or did we come? Or did we fall into a gutter? Because their value is the same. You know why? It is the work of the principality. Once you come and sit there, oh, Bwakra. It's also. Are we here? The politicians, don't look at me that way. Don't look at me that way. What, what, what do you want me to say? Tell lies. Is it not the truth? Please. I'm sorry. God bless you for your understanding. <laughs> hey! That is the work of a principality. He has been assigned to a particular nation to make sure that things will not work. They resist the purpose of God for nations and cities of the world. So you see that the duty of a principality is to ensure that the, the purpose of God will never be achieved. And sometimes they are even placed over, over, over cities. So you can have a city such as Greater Accra. And you realize that there's a particular sin in the land. You go to certain countries in Europe, there are particular sins. In fact, when you go to certain countries, prayer is difficult. It's, it's, it's a bit easy to pray in South Africa and places like the U.S. of A. Go to India and go to China. And if you are an intercessor, you can pray one hour. You realize that when you are praying, something is impeding you. It's impeding you. Something... That is the work of the principality. Because once you enter and you begin to speak, they know that a strong voice has entered into the land and they'll begin to work against you. That's their job. That's their job. That's their job. That's their job. Number two, powers. This is the second level of authority in Satan's kingdom. They influence the thoughts and feelings of human beings. By promoting wickedness and injustice in the land. So they will cause people to kill. 
They will cause people to bear grudges. They will cause people to rob. I'm robbery. You cannot even walk in the night. When that spirit is in, is in charge, they will make sure that people will do the wrong thing in the community. And sometimes we think it's normal. They will even make sure that people will not partake in church activities. And they will, they will, they will influence your mind to the extent that you will even say that there is no God. Yes. There are people who, who say there is no God. There is no God. There is no God. So you ask them, who brought you into the world? There is no God. Who brought you into the world? Then they will begin to say funny things. That's the work of the power. They will influence your thought to think negative. Hallelujah. They cause people to have a lackadaisical attitude. Yes, lackadaisical attitude. Remember the you. Namunti has seen you. Lens affair. Eh? Just say, people are not hot towards the things of God. So sometimes you go into a church, you look at the church, Sunday morning, because the place is full. You come here Wednesday, and come here Friday. People will find a reason not to be around. And they think it's normal. It is the work of the power, so I'm telling you. Because 45 minutes prayer in a week. 45 minutes prayer in a week. 45 minutes of prayer in a week. When we are playing Champions League, the first half, how, how many minutes? 45 minutes. Plus 50 minutes. And then the other one, 40, 90. But people can watch and scream. Even if they think they have to go and watch us. Flagstaff house, they will go. But tell them to come and pray. Oh, the power is in action. And you see, that's what the power does. They will influence you to be lackadaisical towards church activities. Until one day, they begin to put a sickness on you. Then I'll be the old church pastor. Intercessors. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They influence Christians to cause strife in church. So if you are in church and you are always creating chaos, division, confusion, doing what is wrong, oh, the power is working with you. You have allowed yourself. And sometimes it happens. In fact, most of the time it happens. It happens. It happens. Hallelujah. Rulers of darkness. The next one. Number three. Rulers of darkness. They promote false religion and the practice of courts. I, I, sometimes I get amazed. I hear people are practicing courts on the campuses. Maybe when we were there, it wasn't that popular. But I'm told now people are doing it. There are courts. And people are involved. And some of the universities, they are halls. I don't want to mention some of them. The things they do is purely cults. Purely cults. And it's rulers of darkness who do that. They also control marriages and bring conflict in marriages leading to divorce. Look, sometimes couples will be fighting. And you meet them. And you ask them what is the problem. And they begin to tell you the problem. And you, who is the judge? You realize that, ah, now we don't say nyanse mo. We don't say nyanse bi any mo. Into we inti amu kono. We inti amu boblos no. Rulers of darkness. They are in charge. So something you shouldn't quarrel about. You are quarreling about. Please, am I opening your eye to something? 
So if you are here, for every little thing you are fighting, check the rulers of darkness. <laughs> Begin to bind them. Begin to bind them. Begin to bind them because it's not normal. Because they are not interested in marriages. And all they want is conflict, conflict, conflict. And sometimes couples giving. I'm part of I'm part. She's part. I'm telling you, she's part. I'm also part. Hey, madam, what you are now? It is flimsy, my man. I am man. Muku on hono. Hey, yenjayo. Della, what you are now? My good friend, your friend is Embo. Atu, Uncle Atu, what you are now? Flimsy, my man. Powers. Phoebe, are you hearing me? I know. I know. <laughs> Look at my eyes. I say I know. <laughs> He's wondering. I know. Yes. Rulers of darkness. They promote divinations, charms, fetish, and idol worship. They enslave the souls of men into deception. Deception. So you believe anything and everything you read. God should have mercy on us. Then spiritual host of wickedness. Because of time, let me speak. They promote lawlessness and wickedness in their lives. That's the final part. They promote lawlessness and wickedness. Lawlessness, lawlessness, wickedness in the land. You hear they've killed someone. And you are wondering, how do you cut off your neighbor's head? How do you do that? Is it possible? How do you take a gun and shoot someone? And then when they ask you, say, hey, hey, Hallelujah. Please, let's note some of these things. So, when wickedness comes into your heart and you feel like killing your wife, you should know that there is some power behind the zero. Begin to bind and lose it. Begin to bind and lose it. Because it's not normal. It's not normal. They ensnare the soul of men into sins such as homosexuality. Did you hear that? Homosexual. Lesbianism, those things. Gay, 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 gay. They call it L, what? LB, what, what, what? Something, something, Q. <laughs> I say, whoa. And people think it's normal. And they say, oh, it's human rights. Human rights. Human rights. Human rights. So the armed robber has the right to come and steal you and say it is human rights. Is that what you are saying? Eh? But you see, when powers, principalities are in charge, they make you think it is normal. And I'm telling you, some pastors, they are okay. In the U.S., people are blessing such rubbish marriages. <laughs> Excuse my language. Does it make sense? How <gasps> And you are happy if you are in church. Please change. Before I begin to pray against you, change. And, and they, they, they say they are rich. And so what? 
We don't need your money. Yeah, they are rich. They are rich. And so what? Without your money, the church will still be with the church. Trust me. Because God will do it. The oppressions of witches and wizards fall into this category. So if you are a witch and you are a wizard, that is your category. I am witch, witchcraft spirit. And you are sitting in the church throwing missiles on the altar. Hey, I command every missile to come back to you. Every arrow, every evil arrow, I stand in the name of Jesus and the authority of the blood. I command every arrow, every arrow, every arrow. I send it back to you. I send it a million times. Every evil arrow. And sometimes witches come and sit in church. When I finish preaching the first part of this message, hey, they hear me and I don't know. And yeah, he said, I won't stop preaching it. Oh, I won't stop. If you want to fight, fight. I'm not scared. I've not been anymore. Hallelujah. They are responsible for accidents and premature death. Ha! Huh. There was a time I was traveling to Gosu. And I was driving so that I would pick a vehicle. Hey, I got to Labadi. From nowhere, the electricity line, I said 3 kV. I don't know how I managed it. That same night, I was in the bus. Am robbers attacked us on the way. This is a normal. And sometimes it can be scary. Because when it gets to that place, your prayer is even gone. May God preserve all of us. May God protect you. As you go out, as you come in, you are covered in the blood of Jesus. Those of you who have been told you will die, you will not die. You will not die. You will not die. You will not die. Every accident. I stop the accident. Every arrow of accident. I stop the accident in the name of Jesus. Every arrow of premature death. I stand in this oil, on this altar, and I command uh, that accident be destroyed, be destroyed, be destroyed, be destroyed in the name of Jesus. Last one. Under the spiritual host of wicked. They cause people to sleep in church during sermons. So even when, the, when people are shouting, Amen, Amen, no other. Spiritual host of wickedness is taking over your territory. And you are still sleeping in church. Father, every hand. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Causing people to sleep. I take that hand off. In Jesus' name. <laughs> Mr. Mansu, but I'll add some five minutes so I can finish. Hallelujah. And a story near there. <laughs> we thank God. Hallelujah. Let's look at Daniel chapter 10. We'll read the first three verses. And then from verse 10 to 14. Then I'll, I'll look at it. You see, because... Some of the time we think that the things we go through, they are normal. Couples, 
and I'm on you today, please, there will be battles. But let's be sensitive. They are not normal things, though. They are not normal things. They are not normal things. Daniel chapter 10, from verse 1 to 3. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel whose name was called, that name is always how I pronounce it. <laughs> the message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks, ate no pleasant food, no meat, no wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all, till three weeks were fulfilled. So Daniel had read the word of God and noticed that a prophetic word has been made that the, the Jewish people will be in captivity in Babylon for how many years? 70 years. He realized that he was getting to the 70 years, but he was not seeing any action for the people to go back to their land. Because it was important to go back to their land in order that the prophecies about Jesus would come to pass. Hallelujah. So Daniel, by prophetic insight, realized that no, there was something wrong. And the Bible said Daniel decided to fast for 21 days. He decided to fast. He decided to fast. So he fasted and fasted till the 21 days. And, and something interesting happened. So let's go to verse 10. Then suddenly, a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you while he was speaking. This word, this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel. For from the first day you set out your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. Your words were what? Heard. So it means that the very first day Daniel began to pray, his words were heard by God. But where, why were the answers not coming? And some of us here, we've been praying about something for a long time. The truth is that God has heard your word. But there is an enemy behind the scene. There is a power behind the scene. There is a principality behind the scene. There is a demon behind the scene that is withholding the answer. It's not because God, God doesn't hear you. It's not because your prayers are not powerful. But it's because there is something happening behind the scene. Oh, Jesus. But the prince, and watch this. Your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia, initially we read what? That there was a king of Persia. But this time we are being told that there is a prince of the kingdom of Persia. It is a principality that has been assigned against that kingdom. So that was the power which was fighting Daniel's answer. Sometimes, you are fasting and praying. And that's why I, I encourage people to study the word. And stay right with God. Sometimes, don't run around. Because you see, the solution is not in running around. No. The solution is in consistent, persistent prayer. Because you see, Daniel could have said, ah, maybe, 
My church is not powerful. So let me go for another. Let me go to another branch. He goes there and he will get more frustrated. I know a couple, my brother. They were looking for a child. And they felt the church they were in was not powerful. So they found a new prophet. Somewhere in Neocho area. Pram Pram, they call the place. A powerful prophet is in that area. And they went there all night. All night. All night. And I know they called certain church members and they were there with. I said, You are wasting your time. They've been there seven years. Because it's not the prophet. Look, if you don't understand spiritual things, people will deceive you. And that's why I want us to look at these scriptures very well. If the prophet was the reason they have not given the seven years, I don't understand. Please, read your Bibles very well and don't be deceived. They've been going to that all night, seven years. Instead of going on your knees and praying, you are talking about a man of God. Yes, we pray for people and things happen, but it's not all the time. Yes, it's not all the time. Okay, you, if you have a problem, you go to a man of God. When a man of God has a problem, who does he go to? Who does he go to? So, you, we all must go to God. Somebody texted me and said, Pastor, you said something about prayer that we should be coming. I didn't say don't come to pastors for prayer. I'm saying that you also need to play a role. If you call me and my phone is off, what do you, what do, you do? If you call me and I'm sick, what do you do? Because I'm also a human being. Learn to pray on your own. Learn to spend time before God on your own. Stop chasing the wind. Stop chasing the wind. I'm telling you, you are chasing the wind. And I'm, I'm telling you because I tell people, I've been in church for long ago. And I know people who have chased the wind. Ah, they become more frustrated. Go on your knees. Take the word of God. Prophesy to yourself. Trust in the word. Fast like Daniel. And God will open that door for you. God will open that door. You need help, you can come to me, I'll help you. But I am not God, and I won't be God. Hallelujah. Let me let me get into because my time is up. My time is up. Oh Jesus. How do I run this? How do I run this off? Let me see. Let me just all right. Hallelujah. James five. James five, verse sixteen. James five. It says the effective Fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. And then when you go to the 17, it talks about, please give me the scripture. It says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Go to 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah was like you and I. Oh. He was not a special being. And he prayed earnestly. Are you praying earnestly? Are you praying earnestly? Ask yourself. Or you pray one. Ah, then three weeks later, 30 minutes, 10 years later, one hour, ah, you are joking. That it will not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. What is the reason he was able to do this? He prayed earnestly. And that was what Daniel did. And as you begin to pray earnestly, as you begin to travel, as you begin to make time before God, as you begin to kneel before God, as you fast, 
Jesus said, this kind shall not go except by prayer and fasting. And as you engage the hand of God, as you humble your soul before God by fasting, I make declaration upon your life that let the heavens open. Let the heavens open. Let the heavens open. Let the heavens open. Every power and principality holding your blessing. May that power be broken. May that chain fall. May that wall come down. In Jesus' name. Let me end. My time is up. Father, we thank you. Have your way as we rededicate our lives. Show us mercy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, somebody put your hands together for Jesus. Oh. Thank you.